0: Want to know more about President Trump's visit to South Dakota? You should stay tuned. I mean, you should stay tuned. From SDPB Radio, it's Wednesday, August 9th, and this is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, Seth Tupper is with us for our Dakota Political Junkies segment. We'll talk about the legacy of the word should from the pandemic and Governor Kristi Noem's opportunity to recapture the national spotlight come September. We'll hear 10-year-old Eden Barkmeyer from Aberdeen sing. That performance has become something of a South Dakota social media sensation. Plus, measuring air quality, the induction of Walt Bones into the Hall of Fame, and a beat poet hits the South Dakota road. That is all coming up this hour. We are broadcasting live from SCPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh, you're in the moment. News is first. At Dakota State University in Madison, gamers of all interests and skill levels can pick up their controllers and learn to compete. The university is offering a new Introduction to Esports course this fall. The course instructor is Andy Rowland. He's also the esports head coach at the university, and he's with us on the phone to talk about the world of competitive gaming. Andy, welcome. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: I mean, it's Professor Roland, but if you're gonna do esports, I feel like we're gonna go with Andy for a while at
1: least. <laughs> yeah, just call me Andy. That's, which that's all I need.
0: Which brings us to this idea of like enthusiasm and accessibility, but yet with a very serious education focus, not just for gamers, but for the people who might go into you know public schools and set up gaming clubs of their own. Tell me why you wanted this uh, course to be part of the curriculum.
1: Well, I feel like this, um, well, the esports market in general and uh, at the collegiate level has so much to offer for students, um, both on campus and off. Um, We follow just like traditional um, athletics, so there's a lot of responsibility that goes involved with it um, and just um, great developmental skills. Um, as far as the course goes, um, I think there's um, a lot in the esports industry that has yet to be discovered um, and a lot that needs to get done and a lot of research that's looking into. So there's a lot of opportunities in the field, I think, for um, new people to come into the space um, with open ideas and to create um, and to develop their skills in the, in a market that's booming.
0: All right. So tell us a little bit about the syllabus, if you would. Like, what are students going to learn on this pathway?
1: Sure. So the um, the introduction course um, really is um, just that. It's an introduction course. So we go over sort of the overview of the ecosystem of esports. So we talk a lot about um, comparing traditional sports with esports. We talk a lot about um, professional esports companies that are out there and some of the things that they do to gain headway. Um, and basically, it's a foundation course um, for those who may not know everything about eSports or the eSports world uh, to come in and get a general overview or knowledge of what is competitive gaming? What does it look like in its highest forms? What does it look like in the college level? So um, there's a lot of opportunities.
0: Uh, say more about competition, because one of the things that I think of students learning in you know a football uh, program or a gymnastics program is how to be a good sport, how to compete well. Tell me a little bit about how that intersects with eSports.
1: Sure. Yeah, I I would say that um, eSports follows traditional sports um, almost at a a parallel. Um, There are some differences, obviously, in the the physical aspect of it. But um, as far as team building goes, um, um, the structure of responsibility for practices, um, balancing your schedule, you know the consistency of it and everything. It's 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 the same as traditional sports, really. So um, we 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 carry the same sentiment in everything that we do, um, and in video games in particular. To be to be good at your game or your sport, you need to consistently be practicing or you know using your your skills on a daily basis to improve and. And to learn more about it, so um, that's exactly what we do here. Is we we take what we do very seriously. We're we're no longer um, kids gaming in our parents' basements. Um, we you know we have our dedicated facility on campus um, for varsity athletes that come in. Um, they dedicate their time and um, yeah, it, it's a it's a great program I think to develop students um, at an athletics level to give. To, to reach a certain set of individuals um, that hasn't really been reached before, um, to combine this sport and technology emphasis together, uh, to give them the structure under athletics, uh, to come in and compete, um, it's, um, it's great. It's a great tool.
0: So who's your ideal student? Is it someone who's pretty accomplished at gaming and in- enjoys it enough to play on a team is it someone who thinks they're going to be teaching in the Fuster or someone who's looking for business opportunities in the future to sort of enter an industry who do you want to bring into the classroom
1: um, well those are all excellent examples of students who can come into the program Um I think the ideal student is someone who comes in wanting to influence the market or comes in with ideas on how to improve it or open ideas or, um, you know, thoughts and theories about how things can be improved or or, or what things want to get done. Um, In the same breath, though, people who just want to learn more about the industry, I think this is a a great opportunity for them. But my ideal student is – well, is a leader. I think uh, someone who comes in with, with great ideas, of uh, things that want, um, they want to implement um, or, you know, programs they want to start putting together. Um, and it's my job to help them see their vision, their idea come to fruition. So I think the ideal student is someone who wants to use their skills in video games um, to create opportunities for them in the career field.
0: All right, Professor Andy Rowland, what is the game that none of your students are going to be able to beat you at. <laughs>
1: um, I would have to say Apex Legends. Uh, for those of you who know what Apex is and a big Apex fan. Um, that being said, I just recruited an athlete who might actually be better than me, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs>
0: well, well done, well done. All right, Andy, thanks so much. <laughs> we'll talk to you again.
1: Well, I appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: Welcome back to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, after our hazy summer, you may now be more familiar with the air quality indicator on your weather app. A new algorithm and computer code based on the research of two South Dakota State University professors will help that indicator be more accurate. They're with me now on the phone to talk about how they determine the quality of the South Dakota air that we all breathe. We have Dr. Yang Zheng, professor in the Department of Geography and Geospatial Sciences, also the co-director of the Geospatial Sciences Center of excellence dr. Zhang welcome thanks for being here thank you also with well, you us, also yes. with us dr. Findring Lee assistant research professor in the center dr. Lee welcome as well
2: hi Nora thanks for having me
0: all right dr. Zhang let's start with you tell me a little bit about your research and how it's already being applied
3: y- yes. And we work on the biomass burning emission affect air quality. You know, the wildfire release a large amount of aerosol to the air, and that is often the hardest air quality and affect human health. And we start the biomass burning emission affect air quality in basically in 2005, working with NOAA scientists. At that time, I basically, as a contractor, worked with this project from geostation satellite and polar orbit satellite to estimate fire emission and air quality impact. And when we come to—I come to South Dakota State University in 2013, I continue to collaborate with NOAA scientists to improve estimate of biomass-band imaging and air quality impact. Particularly, we use a new generation satellite, geostationary satellite, and a polar orbit satellite launched recent few years. Oh. And that can significantly improve the capability to produce high quality fire emission product.
0: So the, the next generation satellite and looking at the air quality impact is going to be so important um, for the future, but we really started seeing it this year too, where we could notice it. So Dr. Lee, help us understand why this research is going to impact our lives r- right now in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate?
2: That's very interesting. Um, this year uh, has been like a very um, unprecedented. Uh, the Canadian fires in twenty twenty three um, start from like May. Um, I think uh, has injected large uh, massive amount of smoke to the downwind transport to the United States including South Dakota and also all the way to the East Coast. And then I think people like in uh, uh, South Dakota or uh, in the East Coast states like New York cities or D.C. areas, they haven't been uh, experienced such uh, polluted uh, weathers. So Mm. I think it's... um, it's uh, so a surprising, so like uh, which is pretty common in the West Coast, coast uh, like uh, Oregon and California. Um, I think it is quite important. Um, I think uh, even like uh, when I look at the air now quality, uh, that tells the, the distribution of the air quality level across the United States. I just check the map uh, even even today, and, then, uh, and we look back like yesterday and the day before yesterday. I mean, I think South Dakota, uh, especially in northern South Dakota, east part of South Dakota, still experience the moderate uh, pollution from like uh, um, fire smoke uh, across the Canada. Yeah. Right now, I think there are still like hundreds of like uh, wildfires that in the northern part of the, uh, Canada.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, my daughter lives in New York, and sometimes I will check the air quality in New York and in Sioux Falls and find out that her air quality is uh, better <laughs> than ours right now, which is not what I thought would happen when she moved to New York. Dr. Zhang, where do you hope this research goes in the future?
3: Oh Yes, this research now we work on the, you know, use a polar orbital satellite and a geostationary satellite combined together. Now the geostationary satellite observes surface every five minutes, and, of course, with a little bit closer spatial resolution, about two kilometers, and the polar orbital satellite can observe the surface every 375 meters, even though the temporal resolution uh, could be twice a day, or with a couple of polar orbital satellites could be uh, four times a day. Hmm. When we combine together, of the geostation satellite and the polar orbit satellite we could estimate fire emission every five minutes or ten minutes with a special resolution much higher it could be as high as 700 meters and when we generate this product we could operationally produce fire emission every 10 minutes or every hours, wow. and for currently, we work on the United States, and the, you tend to entire North America. And eventually, we will, of course, work on the global, combine this geostationary satellite and a polar orbit satellite wow. for air quality monitoring. Yes.
0: All right. This is bigger, a little faster, more accurate, and more global. Important public health research coming out of South Dakota State University. Dr. Zhang, Dr. Lee, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time.
3: Thank you. Thank you. you.
0: You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. On March 23rd, in 2020, Governor Kristi Noem gave a press conference, and it revolved around a single word, should. The COVID-19 pandemic had just started to slip into the state and spread throughout our communities. Fear and uncertainty were also spreading among South Dakotans. So we turned to our governor and heard a list of things we should be doing. Seth Tupper is editor-in-chief at South Dakota Searchlight. He wrote commentary around the politics of should and an analysis of Governor Noem's public health approach during the pandemic. He is with me now from SDPB's Black Hill Surgical Hospital studio in Rapid City to say more about that piece, which is available at SouthDakotaSearchlight.com and some other things we might get to. Hey, Seth, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm so glad that you wrote about this because, of course, I remember this day and hearing your thoughts on this word should at the time. But tell me a little bit about this press conference and just how prevalent the word should (laughs) was and how reporters tried to kind of get her to elaborate on that.
4: Well, yeah, it's one of those things I think you need some time to process and in the benefit of hindsight now, it's a lot yeah. easier to sort of maybe make some sense of it. But at the time, as you mentioned in your, your opening, you know, a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, um, everybody was looking to to leaders for guidance. And if, if there's one thing we always hear or seem to hear about what's important uh, about leadership in a crisis is clear communication, right? Okay. And so we have this press conference and we're told there's an executive order coming from the governor. And and I guess I was expecting, okay, this is it. We're gonna get clear communication on, uh, you know, what's gonna happen in South Dakota and how we're going to protect people from this virus. So when the executive order came out and when Governor Noem started talking during her press conference, and as I mentioned in the the commentary, everything was South Dakotans should do this, businesses should do that, people should do this. I was just very I, the the feeling I had. I I dialed into the press conference and some other reporters were there in the room, but I was just utterly confused because, as I said, uh, you know we always hear it's important to be have clear communication at crisis, and here was a governor who seemed to be uh, on purpose being not clear, and I just couldn't. Understand or comprehend what was the motivation for that at the time, yeah. and uh, I pressed her during that. If you if you watch the video of, uh, from SDPB of, of the conference, which I embedded uh, in the piece, uh, mm-hmm. th- that video is still on YouTube. You yeah. can see, you can hear. I pressed her. Some other reporters pressed her just to ask, you know, what do you mean by should? Is this a requirement? Is it a suggestion? And all she would say in response was, "I'm telling people what they should do," uh, and she just wouldn't clarify any further.
0: What did this create in the state amongst cities and municipalities?
4: Well, confusion uh, in a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I mentioned in, in the commentary, what what ensued was uh, weeks of local meetings in some cities and, and counties throughout the state where uh, various kinds of restrictions were uh, proposed and acted upon uh, in Rapid City, even though, you know, the, the, the popular narrative about the pandemic in South Dakota is nothing ever shut down. Well, in Rapid City, uh, the state council and mayor did vote uh, to shut down a number of businesses that, that did actually close for some time because in the absence of the governor issuing orders, which you know maybe she would now, as I mentioned in the piece, call freedom. Um, a lot of mayors and county commissioners felt like, well, um, we're not really getting, you know, very clear guidance from the state. So I guess it's up to us. And therefore, a lot of local leaders had to uh, gather and debate and and figure out, you know, what what they wanted to do to protect their own citizens. And you can look at that as, you know, hey, that's local control and that's how it should be. But you can also look at it as, um, you know, uh, mass confusion in a time of crisis.
0: Right. Um, At some point during this time, our per capita death rate for COVID was the highest in the nation. And then uh, President Trump came to south dakota for fireworks and the fourth of july how did that intersect with you know masking and what she was saying about freedom at that point
4: well yeah at the beginning of the pandemic i don't think any of us could have foresaw that you know this global health crisis would be the thing that would launch you know our governor from little old south dakota into you know the stratosphere of, of political stardom but that that is eventually what happened and 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 uh Her invitation to uh, President Trump to attend a fireworks ceremony uh, on the Fourth of July during the pandemic was was a big part of that. Do you Um, think
0: I'm gonna jump in? Do you think it was COVID that launched her, or do you think it was the you know George Floyd um, protests and statues coming down because they ended up at Mount Rushmore with the message of you know you can't tear this down?
4: Well, I think it all intersected, but I think it was the pandemic that first put you know our governor on 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 the radar of 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 um, political observers nationally and the attention she got and and the way she capitalized on as i said in the piece uh, what some called early on a lack of (laughs) clear leadership and confusion she basically branded as as granting people freedom and she really went out and capitalized that and she got on uh, a lot of uh, political talk shows and uh, she she took a lot of criticism from mainstream media and that that only fueled sort of her her rise and then as, as you know, during the pandemic, the nation dealt with all these other issues you mentioned with um, the killing of George Floyd and the, and the mass protests and um, you know the, the, the movement to take down Confederate symbols and things like that and the backlash against it. She was in position then I think to, to also try to capitalize politically on some of that as she and President Trump tried to do during the, the Rushmore event. But I think it was the pandemic that put her in a position to, to do that.
0: So now as we look at what's happening today, memory starts to fade. Some memories, of course, do not fade, especially for people who lost loved ones during the pandemic or people who lost business during the pandemic. But we're moving into an election year. Former President Donald Trump, several indictments, but also a front runner for the Republican nomination, scheduled to appear in South Dakota September 8th. Talk a little bit about Governor Nome's star kind of fading, and then what's at stake here in September as Donald Trump returns.
4: And and that's this is why I, I wrote the piece now when I did is because I, I think a lot of people, me included, have looked at uh, Governor Nome and the fact that she she did not run for president as she, um, you know, seems like she considered, and a lot of people thought maybe she would. Um, that maybe, okay, well, you know, her 15 minutes of national fame is up. It's kind of over. Um, and that had sort of started to be sort of the dominant narrative uh, about her. Then all of a sudden, here recently in the last couple of weeks, we find out that um, Donald Trump is going to come to Rapid City on September 8th and appear at a, at a political rally here uh, with Nome as his special guest, as it's been advertised. Uh so, you know, it really got me huh. thinking about, well, maybe that 15 minutes are, are not up. And yeah. um, when you start thinking it through, you know, Donald Trump doesn't have any real political reason to come to South Dakota. Uh, we, don't, we have almost no, um, you know, delegates to contribute to somebody who's trying to win the Republican nomination. It doesn't look like he'll have any trouble doing that anyway. Um, we don't have, you know, a lot of mega donors here. Um, we're, the, the state always, almost always, votes Republican in the presidential contest, and that's not going to change whether he visits or not. So you start to wonder: Okay, is she, is Governor Nome, in the mix uh, for his running mate? He needs a new running mate. Obviously, the the whole uh, uh, rift with uh, Mike Pence, I don't think, uh, is going to heal uh, after the whole hang Mike, Mike Pence episode on January six. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't laugh about that, but but obviously, um, he needs a new running mate yeah. and. Uh, you know, If there's any reason for him to come here, and he doesn't necessarily need one. Donald Trump does what he wants when he wants. We all know that. But if there is any reason, maybe it's because he's considering uh, Governor Noam as, as a potential running mate.
0: So she has been labeled as a potential running mate before, and he famously likes to keep people maybe on the line. So is it far more likely that this is an audition than a—well, certainly not going to be—well, I shouldn't say certainly— most likely, it's not an announcement, unless you think that that's a possibility. They wouldn't announce uh, that she's you wouldn't announce her as a running mate already.
4: I wouldn't think so, but then yeah. of course, you know, I would never try to predict what Donald Trump would do. I think we've all learned that's a that's a fool's errand, you know. <laughs> so, right. so who knows? But, um, you know, yeah, I I, I would, I, I don't know, I. Is this good for her?
0: Do you think it's good for her political clout to be attached to him at this point or not? I mean, if you want a political future nationally um, or even to represent South Dakota strongly at the moment, it seems like it's a. I don't know. You need some pretty serious advice whether or not that's the candidate you want to be with right now, because you don't know what's going to happen legally in the months ahead. But it's not looking good.
4: Well yeah uh, it's it's hard to say I, I think it'll have different short term and long-term effects in the short term if he's going to be the nominee and if if he wins and becomes president again obviously it's it is good for her politically in the short run and you know one of the things that fascinates me about her is is that I think maybe there was a, a very smart calculation on her part where and she's I've seen her say this many times uh, that she didn't see anybody who could beat Trump and there wasn't a path to beat him and so while seemingly everybody else on the Republican side who was mentioned as, you know, presidential timber, is running against Trump, yeah. she stood aside and, and did not. And that sort of makes her one of the only people then that's a logical running mate, uh, because she was loyal to Trump, and uh, whereas many others are, are, are trying to beat him. Um, mm. so, so, you know, short term, it could be very beneficial. But as you mentioned, you know, obviously, as uh, during the previous show, Meghna Chakrabarty yeah. had described Trump as, you know, twice impeached, thrice indicted. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, yes. Obviously, there's some long term risks there, obviously, of associating with, with somebody like that uh, very closely, as Mike Pence has found out, as many people have found out uh, over the years.
0: Right. I'd be very curious to know if she was, you know, obviously she's not going to come on the show and talk about what she thinks about Donald Trump, but um, she said the first time I ever interviewed her about him, I think she said she didn't need him to be, that was the, I don't need him to be a role model because Jesus Christ is my role model. I just need him to sign legislation that makes sense for the Republican Party. That was kind of the stance that she was taking at the time. Um, Does that make you want to ride shotgun to somebody to the White House or not? I just, I don't know the answer to that. Well, you can find uh, Seth Tupper's commentary on South Dakota Socialite. Dot .com and thank you for showing up for the Dakota Political Junkies conversation today. Appreciate it, Seth.
4: Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to discuss it.
0: Let's take a moment now to celebrate a South Dakota talent. Singers and performers from all over the state have shown up for open mic night at the Levitt Shell in Sioux Falls. Well, 10-year-old Eden Barkmeyer is from Aberdeen, and her performance has taken social media by storm. We think that you will hear why. Here is Eden, accompanied by her mom, Jennifer. They wore pink Western shirts with shimmering white fringe to perform, and the song is a mashup of the auctioneer and the Tennessee yodel. Enjoy.
5: A right, human go. what are we gonna give for him? I got 600 down now, 10, now 25, now 35, now 50. I got 50, another 65, another 75, another 85, and five there. There was a boy in Arkansas who listened listen to his mom when she told him he should go to school. He'd sneak away in the afternoon, take a little walk, and pretty soon you'd find him at the local auction bar. He'd stand and listen carefully. Then, pretty soon, he'd be gone to see how the auctioneer could talk so rapidly. He said, Oh my, it's do or die. I've got to learn that auction cry. got to make my mark and be an auctioneer. $25 a bit now. 35 Will you give me a third round and make it a 35 round? Who will bid it on a $35 bid. $30 a bit now.
6: 35
5: Will you give me a third round and make it a 35 round? Who will bid it on a $35 bid. And from that boy who went to school, there grew a man who played a cool. He came home a full-fledged auctioneer. The people came from miles around just to hear him make that rhythmic sound that filled their hearts with such a happy cheer. His fame spread out from shore to shore. He had all he could do and more. Had to buy a plane to get around. Now he's the tops in all the land. So let's all pause, give that man a hand. Of all the auction is $25, bid now $35, will you give me a of right and make it the we'll it on a $35 bid. $30 bid now 35 will you give me a of right and make it the we'll bid it on a thirty-five dollar I'm just a little mountain girl who lives in Aberdeen. I love to climb my mountain and go hum o I got me sweetheart who lives a mile away. He knows when I'm thinking of him when he hears me say,
6: I chow cho hum dee o dee 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 Low tea, little lady, little tea, little lady, little tea, little lady, little lady, little tea, little lady, little tea, 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 little little tea, little tea, little little tea, little I he loathe. Did I he love you like you love you like he loathe? I he loathe. You like he love you like he loathe. I he loathe.
0: If you'd like to watch that performance, you can find the video on our website, sdpb.org/news. The next open mic night at the Levitt, Thursday, September seventh. You're on listener-supported, SDPB Radio. To In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Lori Walsh. Well, it is hard to talk about agriculture in South Dakota without mentioning Walt Bones. (laughs) His involvement and impact has stretched across the South Dakota Farm Bureau, South Dakota Corn Growers, the Cattlemen's Association, the Ag Advisory Council, and Groundworks Midwest. That is just A small slice of the resume there. He also served as the state's Secretary of Agriculture and on Governor Dugard's Ag Advisory Council. Now his service and contributions to the industry are being recognized as he is inducted into this year's class of inductees in the South Dakota Hall of Fame. And he's with me now in SDPB's Kirby Family Studio. Welcome and congratulations.
7: Thank you so much
0: appreciate that. What does the Hall of Fame mean to you over the, certainly you've seen you know peers and other state leaders be inducted
7: when you get a chance to uh, be included it, you know many of your listeners if you get a chance go on the website and yeah. and just look down through the list of previous inductees. it um, it's really humbling. Uh, there's some just really and, and friends mentors of mine as I've gone through the industry, And uh, folks that I've thought so highly of and and to have an opportunity to join them there um, in that shrine is, um, uh, again, it's just, it's hard to explain. Uh, One of the things that, Laurie, that really uh, is uh, special for me is that uh, my dad was inducted in 1988. Oh, nice. And so uh, there is, I think, only two other father-son teams that have been inducted there. So again, it's didn't start out as a lifelong goal. Right. You know, 20 years ago, I didn't say, "Hey, uh, this is this is what I want to do," but um, you know, I uh, y- you just do what you got to do and I- and I've been, you know, we'll get into that, I'm sure, but just I've been just extremely blessed with the opportunities that I've been given.
0: It seems like you've said yes to a lot of <laughs> Requests. You've been talking
7: to my wife, haven't you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> requests for for service. Re- requests for, you know, people have said, you know, we need you here. We, would you be willing to do this? Can you do one more thing? How did you make decisions about, you know, stepping into those leadership roles, mm-hmm. knowing that, yeah, you're, you know, your wife's got a, a tally? <laughs> <laughs> um, when...
7: We're in an industry. I think it's really, really important to be engaged in that industry. Uh, there's a saying that I used as I was traveling around the state as the secretary. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if you're not at the table, you're probably on the menu. And so that, that spoke to me a lot. And so whenever... And, and frankly, some of it was probably a little selfish, too. I mean, some of these organizations give you an amazing opportunity for some personal leadership and skills, um, development. Um, I mean, they'll yeah. send you all across the country to, to learn how to communicate, how to talk. And, and we just, uh, again, I've, I've, been blessed with, with my, my wife, my kids. Uh, I, I farm west of town here, southwest of town with uh, two brothers, a brother-in-law and, and now three nephews. But, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, their, their help and their understanding and, and that um, and I, we grew up in a, in a family. Again, my, my dad was extremely involved. He was in the legislature for 16 years. My mom was, was very involved. And so public service uh, in our family was held in very high esteem. And so I got a lot of support there from, from the family to, uh, to represent them. Um, and represent our industry.
0: Go back to some of the earliest memories you have about farming because you, there's some homesteaded land in your mm-hmm. family, so you mm-hmm. must have some early memories of the joys or the travails <laughs> of egg. Uh,
7: that's a great question. Yeah, there's a lot of highs and lows. Uh, sometimes you know, within the hour or within the week, within the years. I mean, there, there's, there are those, uh, valleys and then there's a, those mountaintops, but uh, yes, as you mentioned, my great grandfather homesteaded down there South and, and East of Parker, uh, in 1879. Um, uh, the original homestead ground is still in the family. And, um, so, um, our, our situation is just a little bit different. My, um, uh, my dad actually grew up in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and even though I mean, his dad was born there on the homestead farm, my grandfather, but there wasn't enough room on the farm to support both he and his brother and his two sisters. So uh, one brother stayed on the farm and my grandfather went into the hardware business, ended up in working for the Maytag Corporation. Uh, and and ended up in Minneapolis um, as a regional sales manager. So my dad grew up there, but there was always that you you, you can take the boy off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy. And so uh, my grandfather was still very involved and uh, um, kind of started some of his own things, kind of separate from his brother. And and so, uh, yeah, my earliest recollection of the farm is is just the joy when my dad said, "Hey, you want to ride along?" You know, <laughs> I think part of it was somewhat uh, necessary because you know that that seat to the right of the driver is the gate opening seat, so <laughs> exactly, you know, we, <laughs> and the
0: gate closing seat, and yeah. the yeah. gate closing
7: seat. So yeah, yeah, let's go check some pastures. And oh, by the way, yeah, would you get the gate for me? You know, type yeah. thing. But no, we we again we was we were very. <laughs> Uh, supported, um, you know. Again, it was it was just a joy to to be a part of the farm. And, and did it, you
0: talk on those rides? Did you talk with your dad, or did you the just time. look out the window and like? No, what Would you talk about?
7: You know, all the time. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, some of the challenges and and just the the joy and the blessings that we have to be able to 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 see this creation that God has, that we were temporary that we are temporary stewards of, and and have the. Um, Uh, the pride and, and to see, um, the trials and tribulations, but there's an extreme amount of pride in, in getting the job done, uh, being creative. I mean, one day you might be an electrician, you might be a mechanic, (laughs) you might be a welder, you might, whatever. I mean, it just- You might be a garbage man. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, it's, it's, you pull weeds, you pick up rocks, you, But you get to drive a tractor. And uh, so, um, I mean, one of the big, you know, probably one of the memories that really sticks out was uh, uh, our eighth grade graduating class had a, we were going to celebrate. This was a long time ago, by the way. (laughs) Um, And we were going to celebrate by having a roller skating party over at Wall Lake. There used to be a big roller rink out there. And uh, my dad uh, made me an offer. And he says, I'll tell you what, he said, I will let you, um, I I could really use some help Saturday driving a tractor and a disc. And he said, I will let you have the, you know, the the most, the the tractor with the latest technology on it. I mean, this is the, (laughs) this is the most sophisticated tractor that we have. And, and I couldn't resist. I skipped my eighth grade party to drive a 60 horsepower, 560 international tractor that had, wait for it power steering (laughs) (laughs) so Um, that was the latest technology and so yeah
0: that story delivered (laughs) yeah In that regard, you're watching, and I was driving through South Dakota just a couple weeks ago, and I remember passing a certain um, operation and looking out at the way the, the hay was lined up and the curve of the harvest, and I was like, that farmer's an artist. Like, that's not just, <laughs> like, that has to be intentional. It was so beautiful and cinematic that it felt like somebody had, had painted it for me to see. Mm-hmm. Now, that probably isn't true, but it felt like it. Um, at the same time you have this, you know, AI and this new tech and looking at the future of climate change and looking at the future of, of, of you know, uh, robotics in the, in the field and the harvest. <sighs> Take a deep breath and tell me what the future looks like for ag Bring in South it Dakota. all
7: together. I, um, I, again, I usually, you know, when I'm looking forward, I'm also looking back. And so I look at, at uh, I, I'm, I, I can't remember. It was a Tanya Tucker who had the song, you know, it was country before country was yeah, cool. Sure. Well, I mean, we've been active environmentalists before there were environmental activists. I mean, we've been um, cutting down on our tillage and we've been, you know, so, you know, I, I cringe sometimes and we talk about carbon footprint and carbon intensity scores and all these different things, but... But that's what we do on the farm. I mean, we are constantly looking for a better, more efficient way of doing things. Better for the environment, um, you know, better for our financial bottom line, uh, better for the future for my, I've got three nephews now that will be our fifth generation on the farm that are actively farming there with us, the future of our place is in great hands. Yeah. And so, um, the, it's, it's, um, AI, you know, I, I was at a the TEDx talk down here, you know, a couple months ago and heard a teacher talk and, you know, the technology, um, AI technology is as primitive as it will ever be. I mean, it's, it's only going to get more. Um, so, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, driving, you know, the, the auto steer on our tractors, uh, a gr- kind of an expensive tool. People say, ah, pfft, really, you need, you can't drive your own tractor, really? Mm-hmm. Well, there is so many other things going on in the tractor and the combine and sprayer, whatever it might be, that you literally don't have time to drive. And, and so some of those Looking forward, um, the combine that we just got a year ago uh, automatically now makes some of those adjustments. It senses uh, the moisture level, the crop flow, the efficiency, and the speed, and all those types of things, and will make those adjustments on the go automatically if you let it. There's a button right there. You hit it, and it goes off. But automatically, it will make those adjustments for you, and and. I don't know if I'm quite ready yet for the autonomous driving vehicles, but uh, I, I expect it may be coming.
6: Mm-hmm. But
7: uh, uh, just the sophistication of, of what we're doing right now, um, trying to understand the, the, the makeup, the, the bio, biology of the soil, um, trying to understand some of the... Um, uh, GMOs is the the buzzword, of course, but instead of using, um, chemistry, instead of dumping poisons on the ground to control pests, insects, weeds, whatever, uh, now through biology, we can do the same thing and we don't have to dump, I, I can vividly remember my dad one day, um, One of the hoppers on the planter was for an insecticide and this black powder, it was windy, he was sweating, he was wiping this stuff off his brow and you look on the bag and it had a skull and crossbones on it. We don't have to do that anymore. So uh, forward, uh, you know, the air that we breathe is, I forget, 40, 60% nitrogen well, we put extra nitrogen on the ground to, um, to grow our corn or wheat. Hmm. How could those plants maybe pull some of that nitrogen out of the air and, and to, as a nutrient rather than having to put it on as a fertilizer? So th- there's some amazing people working on some pretty amazing things. Um, and so I, I am extremely optimistic about the future of farming. I, I really am. And, and it's just a, uh, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating occupation for so many. I mean, you don't have to own a farm to be involved with agriculture. Right. I mean, yeah. there we need, we need these technicians. We need mechanics. We need all of these different things to produce food on a decreasingly, on a decreasing land base for an increasing population, so yeah. challenges are there, but I've got a lot of a confidence in this next generation and the future bag.
0: I want to go back to something that yeah. you said earlier about you know going places and learning about communication and leadership. Yeah. Talk to the young farmers or the young people who are moving up in any kind of servant leadership in any industry, mm-hmm. and uh, you know what what are some of the things that they need to keep in mind about. Not just their own communication, but their own values, because there's so many distractions, so many different ways. There's going to be a crisis, and you're going to have to deal with it. There's going yeah. to be um, somebody's going to make a mistake, and you're going to have to answer for it. What are some of the ways to keep your your values and your center when the storms are swirling around you? Ooh,
7: that is a really great question, Laurie. I don't know if I've ever been asked that before. Um, first, I would start out and say that. Um, can't do God's work without God's blessings. Um, so we've all been blessed with uh, some amazing skills, and if we, you know, the old horses used to have the blinders on them, so they couldn't see everything, just just what's right in front of them, and and that's what I've told a lot of a lot of these younger folks is that. Sometimes we get so embroiled with the water tank that's froze up, or the tractor that won't start, or whatever. It is. I mean, that is an immediate crisis. There, you know, at, you think, but look at the bigger picture. And I think that's what the involvement in any organization—pick your organization—in um, that involvement gives you that big picture view. So that you can, and, and that's where the focus, I think, needs to be. Is is you know what's what long term is going to be good for our farm? What's going to be good for South Dakota agriculture? What's going to be good for United States agriculture? And so, um, uh, and and those organizations do a great job of, of providing that training, yeah. and and it's these young kids that that just have to get involved because that's the future of our organization. They don't want to hear from me anymore. You know, I'm <laughs> well, we old, <laughs> I'm retired, I'm yeah. done, uh, you, mm, figuratively. Yeah. But um, it, it's, it's these young kids that, that uh, and when I say young, that's 30, 40-ish, you know, right. but they're the ones that really need to get in.
0: Um, Walt Bones, it's been a delight to meet <laughs> you and and talk with you. Congratulations on the induction into the South Dakota Hall of Fame. It's well-deserved. We appreciate your time.
7: Oh, anytime, Laurie. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: That is our show for today. We hope that it served you um, tomorrow on the program, Kevin Wooster is with us. We'll talk about Governor Kristi Noem's media relations. We'll also welcome the USD School of Law Dean. Dean Neil Fulton is joining us to talk about what's next as Americans move on or try to from political division. And that poet, P.W. Covington, he's joining us tomorrow on the show. I misspoke a little bit earlier. From all of us at South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Lori Walsh. Thank you for listening.